If there's an overarching theme to the scripture readings we just heard, it might be something like this. There is nothing in life or in death that is able to separate us from God's great love in Christ Jesus our Lord. St. Paul actually wrote words just like that in a letter addressed to his persecuted friends in Rome. That's a pretty awesome and comforting message, especially in this time of disease, confusion, and economic distress. Nothing in life or in death separates us from God's great love. Nothing. That's the message undergirding Martin Rinkert's famous hymn we opened with, the grand hymn of thanksgiving written in the time of war and plague. That's the grand theme of Easter. That's Jesus' own experience in a nutshell and the heart of everything he taught and lived. That's what Stephen experienced as he faced his own ignominious death, a mob action pelting him with stones because they didn't like what he said. Earlier, Stephen is introduced this way. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. But he also offended many, including leaders of the community who catalyzed his death. And this included a man identified as Saul, otherwise known as Paul. Those names are interchangeable. The one who would become the great apostle to the Gentiles and who would write his own account of finally coming to faith in the God Jesus revealed. By his own confession, Paul will identify himself as a former persecutor of Jesus' followers as the story of his transformation and the birth of the church unfolds. As Stephen dies, he's reported to say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and then adds, Lord, do not hold this sin against them as he's being bombarded with rocks. The only way to make any sense of his magnanimity is that Stephen has a bead on the truth that nothing separates him and everyone else from God's love. This is powerful stuff, friends. Now I know these are old stories laced with myth and allegory that we share in our worship, but the heart of them reveals the mysterious nature of our God whose principal tool in fashioning the universe is love. Love is the driving engine, the force that's stronger than death, certainly mightier than any human corruption. That's the mystery that Easter reveals. That's what we celebrate. It's a very big deal, very important to hang on to, because in the meantime, we live and move and have our being in a murky and confusing world that is riddled with disease and death and economic disruption and political incompetence and, well, add your own state-of-the-world descriptor. In the meantime, we have to make our way, make our choices, dig deep within for mental, emotional, and spiritual resources commensurate with the moment. Martin Rinkert dug deep and found Easter Thanksgiving while living in the meantime of the plague. Living in our meantime, I'm struck by the decisions healthcare workers and other essential services personnel make every day 
as they head off to work in a time of maximal pandemic. We think of them as heroic, and they are. But then they're really not all that different from each of us in their humanity, making their way in the world, managing their own struggles, balancing the content of their lives with sometimes very complicated and competing choices in front of them. We have a tendency to simplify our constructs of heroes and villains. Once a hero, always a hero. Once a villain, always a villain. Sometimes we like to disprove the heroism of someone by pointing to their weaknesses. Racists do this with Martin Luther King Jr. Other times we like to whitewash the villainy of someone by pointing to a good thing they've done. Germans did this in the 1930s as Adolf Hitler rose to power. The one side of a person doesn't change the fact of the other. Of course, it's also true that we generally trend in a certain direction, following the path our first principles set us on. Love, hope, and justice point in one direction. Power, lust, and narcissism point in another. Still, many will have signs and moments of both paths as they make their way in the meantime, because we humans are complicated creatures who are given the freedom to participate with our Creator in becoming our own unique expression of embodied love, or not. And we fumble with the directions that came along with the package. We all have choices, even sequestered in our isolation pods. Even there where you are, you can love or not. You can forgive or not. And we still convene as church, as people gathered to remember who we are and whose we are, to reset the foundation under our feet. We choose to do that. You could be binge-watching yet one more series, but here you are. And in a wider context, in the meantime, we make our way. And our way is complicated by who we are, by what motivates and undergirds our decisions. We see this in the story of Stephen's death, approved of by Saul, a.k.a. Paul. Whenever the story of Stephen comes round, I get to pondering my name. I actually called my 97-year-old father on Wednesday because I realized I had never learned how my name came about. Now, there's nothing dramatic here. I was the youngest of three sons, and he said that he and my mother had decided early on that if they had children, they would use names from the Bible. They weren't especially pious at the time, but thought that provided a great universe of options. My two older brothers were named Andrew Michael and Philip John. Each of their middle names were the same middle names of their grandfathers. My name, Stephen Paul, my father said, was chosen because my mother liked the sound of it. And that's all there was to the story. I suppose a sweet story for Mother's Day. But over the years, it has not escaped my attention that this mashup of names is rather interesting given the, that one oversaw the mob death of the other. 
Stephen was martyred with Paul's approval. That's in my name, Stephen Paul. As far as Stephen is concerned in this story, it doesn't much matter that Paul will ultimately see the error of his way. In the meantime of the story timeline, Paul was Stephen's enemy. At the time of the story, Stephen had life in mind and Paul had death in mind. To share both their names has helped me realize my own mashup of motives, sometimes derived from very opposite poles. Sometimes I'm quite good. <laughs> Other times I succumb to my self-righteous or arrogant lesser self. Both reside within me. Over the years, I've made some kind of quasi-peace with this reality and have worked to stay alert, aware of what drew out my better self. You likely have your own equivalent of a Stephen and a Paul within your personality, one at times the enemy of the other. I would place very big money on that bet. This is a very good thing to come to acknowledge, very important. It's part of our spiritual maturity to recognize the different versions of ourselves residing within us. Nobel laureate Alexander Solzhenitsyn observed, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. In the same letter, Paul states that nothing in life or in death separates him from the love of God. He also writes this, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I end up doing. That's a stunning confession for a so-called hero of the Christian faith. But there it is, a bold, transparent revelation of everyone's character. Paul speaks for all of us here. But now, here's the incredible thing. This human weakness and corruption, even Paul's murderous intention against Stephen, even the unholy mess each one of us can make of things, even all the calumny humans can create does not separate us from God's great love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you begin to see the height and the length and the depth of the power of resurrection sprung from the corruption of crucifixion? And why it simply just makes good sense to throw ourselves into the arms of the one who made us in the first place and who yearns for us to grow into the people originally intended. This is the source of Rinkert's thanksgiving. This is the source of Stephen's forgiveness of his murderers. This is the source of Paul's transformation from hater to lover. 
This is the source of our own capacity of striving for the better thing, the nobler thing, for justice and integrity and courage and fidelity, for faith, hope, and love. And as Paul will have it, the greatest of these is love, which loops us back to where we began in the mystery of Easter, where love is revealed as the very engine of creation. Do you see how this all links up with us and our mission at Christ Church? Living in the meantime simply means our seeking to love God above all things and our neighbors, or we might say everyone else, as ourselves. Love God, love neighbor, love ourselves. That's our work in the meantime.